0: This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making Space, a diversity dialogue. I'm your host, Cole, and this is a biweekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. Now, I really would like to preface this episode um, before we get too far into this topic by saying that we are going to have a sort of discussion. There might be a mention of sex and sexual assault. So if those topics are sensitive to you, please take the time you need. Uh, If you can't listen in, you can join us next episode. You know, um, just take the best care of yourself that you can and it's always okay to leave if you need to. But now that we've discussed that part, I'll get into the topic for the episode, which is consent. We'll go over some uh, commonly published things about consent, the common notions we have about consent, as well as why teaching consent early is a good idea and why consent is important, and how you even get started with teaching consent and how you relearn yourself what consent really is and and how to reteach yourself how to go about uh, permission asking and personal boundaries and all of that. But my guest for today, the one helping me out, is Karis Thedford from Tarleton's Student Counseling Services. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here at Tarleton?
1: Yes, I sure will. I'm the assistant director in counseling services. And in that role, I oversee our substance abuse and violence prevention efforts for campus. And then I also carry, I'm a licensed counselor and I carry a clinical caseload. And um, even that phrase, substance abuse and violence prevention is Mm -hmm. pretty broad. Um, And so when we're talking, especially about violence prevention, what we're really talking Talking about are the forms of violence that are based in power and control okay. sexual assault domestic violence we sometimes call that intimate partner violence or dating violence and stalking and we know that all three of those forms of violence are connected mm-hmm. um, and even those terms cover a really broad range of behaviors but um, I work on the prevention side so helping our community think about and understand how these acts of violence happen in our community, how we create a safe and healthy community, how we reduce the rates of violence, how we look out for each other and keep each other safe.
0: So what are what are some things that you've done? Is it through the community as a whole, like Stephenville, or is it just specifically Tarleton or Tar-
1: Tarleton students? Good question. So my focus is The campus, but I work really closely with our local victim services agency, Cross Timbers Family Services um, in Texas. Um, In every county, there is an agency that provides services for victims and prevention services that are funded through um, our state governor's office. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that's Cross Timbers Family Services in um, Fort Worth and Tarrant County. I work quite a bit with One Safe Place. Um, And so I collaborate pretty regularly with different community partners, but my primary focus is on our campus. And some of the things we've done um, during the time I've been in this role, we've launched um, bystander training for campus and had a really beautiful response from our community as we've um, engaged our community in those trainings. I do a lot of trainings and conversations in classrooms about just a wide range of topics from what we're talking about today, consent to healthy relationships and um, early warning signs of domestic violence and sometimes kind of peeling back the layers of these different forms of violence. What does this really mean? How do these things begin? What are the early warning signs we can all look for so we can interrupt it if we see indicators that there might be a problem? Mm-hmm. Um I sit on our campus Title IX committee that's um, chaired by our campus Title IX coordinator, Darren Keith. Um, Our offices work really closely together. I work a lot with our campus police department. So a, a lot of different initiatives. Our office oversees some of the bigger initiatives that we do during October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month and April for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, so just lots of different things throughout the year.
0: Right. Right. Oh, that's great. That that seems like great work. Does it, um, is it often like seen well by, by students? Is it taken well or or do you see a lot of change when you, uh, do those classes or work presentations and
1: I, I feel like the work is pretty well received most of the time. Um, I've seen some really beautiful things come out of some of our conversations and the training we've done around campus. Um, you know, just some examples, a number of, several years ago when we first launched the bystander training model we were using at that time. Um, several of the students who went th- through that program turned around and put things into action um, on campus and with the different communities they were connected with based on having been through that training. And so, for example, one of our graduates um, became the editor of the JTAC and invited Mm -hmm. me to write some guest columns and share information through the JTAC. That was a really cool outcome of him having participated in our bystander training. it was a student who started our Teal Tuesday initiative that became really popular t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that really took hold in a way that, I didn't really anticipate um, <laughs> a student came up with that idea and I was like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. That gives us a, a kind of this visual component to our outreach efforts mm-hmm. during April and a way to start conversations. And our campus embraced that and ran with it. Um, Definitely. It's, yeah.
0: It's I still been, think about those. I, I still have my, um, I think it has a purple poo on it that says, uh, like,
1: oh yeah, like yeah. The awareness or, or something. It's, yeah. Those shirts were very popular. I, 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 mean, <laughs> I think we did like those this? two years ago yeah, they yes. were really popular yeah, um, I, yeah it's
0: it's good to see I, I didn't honestly I didn't make the connection with your role and something like teal Tuesday yeah. and and the work you guys do in April. So I'm glad to actually kind of put faces and, and names with that kind of work. and it's yeah, not something sure. we always think about. we we kind of pass by topics like this. We pass by April like oh yes, we need to be aware of mm-hmm. of those sorts of things. But we don't really dive into them. And that's that's kind of where I want to go with this episode specifically about consent. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to first kind of go over just very, very brief. I did a little, a little bit of research on this part, uh, the history kind of behind the concept of consent. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get to vocabulary words before we get to the big major questions. So very first, the history part. So consent and the concept of consent can kind of be traced back through laws and policies back to the 1500s when when young girls were able to, quote, consent uh, to marriage mm-hmm. between a man and woman. Um, the for ages around 10 to 12 was actually the the first kind of age range for consent there. But when we're talking about consent now, we're really talking about What we've seen following the Me Too movements Mm -hmm. and that social movement saying like talking about bodily autonomy and being able to um, give consent to other people about what is what kind of activities you you take place in or participate in. And the first vocabulary kind of words I want to go over are. The sexual consent, because that's the the big one people talk about. I have kind of a definition I've written out and then okay. we can discuss what you really think um, with your professional okay, and sure. expertise, what you really think it should mean or that telling the listeners what it is. So I have down that consent is an agreement or sexual consent is an agreement between participant to engage in sexual activity. is that
1: is that in the realm? Yeah, I think that's a a good and very kind of broad way to think about yes, it, it. It's yeah it is very broad yeah and you know i think you you said something important earlier you said consent is a concept and mm-hmm. um and, and then you kind of narrow down to sexual consent so i'm going to go backwards a little bit sure. and kind of go revisit ahead. that the concept of consent isn't new and it's something really that most of us already practice and engage in in a pretty healthy way And we haven't maybe thought about it Mm -hmm. until some of these things that you've talked about. So as a society, I think we started paying more attention to the topic of violence and particularly sexual violence as student victims started bringing lawsuits against their schools Mm -hmm. under Title IX um, a number of years ago because they'd been harmed by another student, reported it in their school's either didn't do anything or didn't respond appropriately and didn't hold the person who caused harm accountable. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we have seen over the last several years, some very public cases as, um, with, you know, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Jeffrey Epstein, Larry Nassar, you know, we've seen these very high profile, um, cases come to light. Some have had a criminal component, some have had civil, um, and everything in between. And then, um, you know, of course, kind of overlapping with that, then the Me Too movement. So, you know, we've had these things happen in our culture that have really drawn our attention to that and challenged us to wrestle with how in the world did this happen? How, and especially with these specific cases that I mentioned, where Mm -hmm. we're talking about people who have this serial predatory behavior, how did that happen? How were they allowed to do that for so long? How were they able to keep their victims silent for so long. And we've had to grapple with that. Um, And some good things have come out of that. These aren't comfortable topics to talk about. They're not not fun to talk about, but also some really important things have come from that. Um, And so consent now, when we think about consent, I think we tend to kind of attach that to sex and sexuality, and that's not a bad thing. But consent really is just in interactions between two or more people for that matter, it's this concept of communicating and talking about what we're doing and talking about sort of boundaries and limitations and making a decision about are we going to move forward with what we're doing or not and being free to walk away from it or to engage in, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you heard me say earlier, I'm a licensed counselor. Yes. And yes. in in my field, in the mental health field, we have this concept we call informed consent that has nothing to do with sex. Um, yeah, I, I definitely have heard that yeah. before, especially like healthcare. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So within um, the mental health field, healthcare, the legal field, um, it looks a little different in each field, but every licensed profession with any of those fields has this informed consent practice. And so as a counselor, when I have a new client, um, first of all, they're going to see information about consent in their paperwork. But then I'm going to talk to them about here's what the counseling process is. Here's how I approach it, kind of my theoretical orientation, how I approach it. What we talk about is confidential, but there are some limitations to that, and we're gonna talk about what those limitations are so that my client knows as we begin our conversation here's what I can and can't keep completely private. And it's not many things that I would break confidentiality for, but there are a few and they're pretty right. similar from one profession to another, right? Like disclosures of child abuse. You have to report that even in the legal field. We think about, you know, a, um, attorney-client privilege. Yes, um, that, is,
0: that is applied a lot. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're talking about counseling, you think, oh, well, you know, on TV
1: yes. they're, <laughs> they're not allowed to say anything if I don't want them to. Mm-hmm. Which is true most of the time, but there are some limitations to that. So like, I'm going to explain that to my clients so they know that. And so they know, you know, if one of these few topics comes up, that could mean, depending on the situation, that I can't keep your information completely private. So there aren't any surprises. Um, So they understand how I approach counseling and they have Mm -hmm. a chance to ask questions. And then again, they can choose to continue and to engage in the process or things say, nah, no, thanks. It's not for me. <laughs> and, and that's ongoing. Right. So my, you know, I may meet with a client for an initial session and we have a really good session and we make an appointment for them to come back in a week and they are free to choose whether or not they come back to that session because they're an adult and they have autonomy and mm-hmm. they don't have to come back. And so, you know, that's kind of in a, again, a realm that has absolutely nothing to do with sex, but it's the same when we're talking about, <laughs> right. um, intimacy and um sex in any of its many forms kind of any kind of sexual activity it's all about communication Mm -hmm. and being respectful even in a casual encounter even in a casual hookup being um, mindful boundaries entering into those interactions in a respectful and a healthy way. There's a healthy way to have a casual hookup. There's a healthy way to have a long-term relationship and everything in between.
0: I like the, I like the concepts you had started to bring up about boundaries and almost rule setting because the next couple of things are going to be uh, bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. and uh, personal boundaries. So you kind of gave some good example of what you would see as like a, a, Boundaries, So mm-hmm. rules, rules that you set aside for your your clients or the way it has to go from the exchange from counselor to client. Mm-hmm. Those are rules and boundaries and personal boundaries from what I have here are just limits or rules set for ourselves and others like uh, within relationships, within relationships. So I think we've kind of talked about that. We fit in that. Yeah. Um, one thing I did add from the other research that I've done our personal boundaries we we put up personal boundaries to protect our minds bodies and emotions from others and and that could mean trauma from pa- from the mm-hmm. past yeah from the past so um what
1: what can you kind of say about personal boundaries to the listeners I could probably talk about that for about three hours, which um, (laughs) nobody wants to listen to. You know, I talk a lot in my clinical work with clients about boundaries and about healthy boundaries. And honestly, really, even before I was in the counseling center, I was in career services at Tarleton. And often as I was engaged in career counseling with students, and one of the things um, one of the tools we would use was the Myers-Briggs type indicator oh, assessment. Yes. Yeah. I remember that. I yeah. can't remember my letters, but I remember <laughs> taking it. Yeah. And so often as I was going through that and talking about what these things mean and um, what it means, you know, to a student, sometimes... The, discussion would come up about relationships and about boundaries. So, you know, I talk a lot about boundaries and about healthy boundaries. Um, Some of us do a really beautiful job of setting boundaries and honoring boundaries. And some of us struggle with that for a lot of reasons. You know, if you're a people pleaser, um, setting boundaries might be challenging. If you're, you know, the person that all your friends come to um, when they need a shoulder to cry on or somebody to listen to, that can be a really beautiful thing. But that might also mean, You need to think a little bit about having some boundaries so that you're taking care of yourself and of your business. And, you know, there's some socialization that comes into play with this a bit, too. And, you know, without going down too many rabbit holes, um, certainly sometimes we see some gender differences with this where um, women are often encourage more so than young men to, you know, be good listeners. And that doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily come naturally, but there's certainly Mm -hmm. some socialization there as well of being giving and being compassionate and empathetic Your
0: boundaries almost. If we're talking in the form of boundaries right now, your boundaries almost have to be a little more lax
1: if you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I think there's an expectation of that and there's value sometimes, you know, for women to kind of relearn putting healthy boundaries in place. And that can also mean not only learning how to set boundaries, but the second piece of that is learning how to be okay if somebody doesn't like a boundary that you put in place. If you're the friend that's always available and somebody in your friend group has really latched on and you're their person. They always come to you and they're telling you all this stuff that's beyond really your capacity to deal with. And like, maybe you've tried to encourage them. It might be helpful to go talk to somebody, but they don't want to because they're really comfortable with you. Yes. If you put a boundary in place and make yourself less available, um, your friend might not like that. Mm -hmm. That might really upset them. And they might, you know, you might see that. And also, that's not your problem. Um, that's a hard thing to think about. Yeah. and I, I'm
0: definitely that person that's like, well, <laughs> they're upset. So we should just we should just talk about it anyway sure. or, or things like that. So I completely understand that that hesitation
1: to set boundary there. Yeah. And that's a conversation I have a lot because, you know, again, a lot of us like we're empathic and we're caring and, you know, we don't want to shut somebody down if they're struggling. And and again, that's not bad or wrong. But um, that piece about being okay if you need to put a boundary in place with somebody and that somebody doesn't like it, at the end of the day, that is that somebody's problem. And it's not your problem. That can be really hard if you're people pleaser and And if you like people and you're sort of used to, you know, being that empathetic friend um, the first time you kind of put those boundaries in place that can really be challenging. And it's also worth it so that you have the time and the energy to take care of yourself and to focus on your school and your social life and your hobbies and um, to not give everything that you have away. And there's nothing left for you at the end of the day. Right. Right. That's that's very important. That's- that kind of goes over
0: why personal boundaries are important Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you protect yourself and and you take care of yourself first I know that's a A big thing that we talk about in any sort of mental health care. We had an episode about mental health care um, recently, where we talked about, you know, you have to put yourself first and it's not a selfish thing to do, but make sure that you uh, are healthy and personal boundaries are important.
1: Yeah. And they're important in intimacy as well. Um, You know, we've kind of talked about sort of generally and, and kind of within friendships, but again, it doesn't really change when it comes to sex and intimacy. Um, You want to be able to communicate with your partner and to check in with them and to let them know if you want to try something and see if they're open to it or if you really don't want to try something and being okay (laughs) with saying, no, no, you know, that's not my cup of tea or, uh, you know, I just don't feel like it. So, you know, we want to be able to do both things to be able to, articulate our own boundaries and speak up for ourselves, but also to pay attention to and really make sure we are respecting our partner's boundaries as well.
0: So I'm going to just hop straight into the questions mm-hmm. because we've we've done a good job of hitting my points there. But... Why is asking consent important? Why? Why? (laughs) I know it it seems like it should be an obvious answer, but why should we respect these boundaries that might be put up by a friend or a partner that are, are kind of new or or just asking consent for
1: something? Yeah, that's a great question. And sort of the short, simple answer is if you want to have good sex, you want a partner who's into it, right? (laughs) That's true. true. (laughs) So if somebody is sexually active, if they're engaged in, and again, whether it's sort of a casual encounter or whether it's within a relationship, a normal, healthy person wants to do that with somebody else who's into it with them. You know, you think about like if your partner is uncomfortable, like a healthy person is not going to like that. They're not going to enjoy that. Right. right. We want some, but we want sex should be. If it's healthy and if we're doing it right, it should be fun and it should feel good. And that can only happen if your partner is as enthusiastic as you are. <laughs> yes, right. So we that makes sense. We we you know we talk some out of our office about healthy sexuality, which is not a topic that we're necessarily real comfortable or familiar with. Um, when anything revolved around
0: sexuality and sex, it's hard to talk about. Yeah, it's it hard sure to talk is. About. It is. Let's say that we kind of understand why consent is important and why we should start asking for consent if we haven't already been doing so um, with partners, with sexual partners, with friends, what have you. When do we know to ask?
1: When okay. when should we ask consent yeah. for things? Um, great question, and I think, you know, a couple of things to kind of be aware of when we're thinking about consent and interactions. Again, I'm gonna come back to, as human beings, we are hardwired for connection with other human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of us have heard about this, these really cool things called mirror neurons, right? That there's this (laughs) sort of this um, newish area of discovery as we're learning more and more and more every day about the brain. And, you know, it's just one more piece of the puzzle of how we are wired to be tuned into other people. We are social creatures by nature. So most of us are pretty able to gauge another person's interest in us. Whether or not they're into something. And again, even outside of sex, like, you know, if we ask a friend if they want to do something and we're with that friend in person, right? And we ask them if they want to do something, like, we can kind of tell most of the time from their facial expressions yes. and their body language if they really are enthusiastic about what we're pitching to them or if they're like, Meh, you know, <laughs> let's go get a pedicure instead. I don't want to see that movie. It looks dumb. You know, like, we can kind of right, see right. that on their face and in their body language. Um, and that's a super simple example. But, you know, That we get weird about it when we think about this with sex, but the same is true. Like, we can tell most of the time if somebody is into what we're doing or not if there's certainly if there's ever hesitation because there may sometimes be situations where things really are kind of murky or we can't tell it's important to check in right if we ever guess ourselves if we ever second guess ourselves it's important for us to just check in hey is this okay um are you feeling okay do you want to stop? You know, any of those kinds of questions, just checking in and making sure that our partners still into it and we're giving them the chance if something has happened and they're wanting to back off of what we're doing, that we're giving them the chance to do that. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons the topic of consent has kind of gotten more attention and become a hot topic. And it is ultimately, I think it's a good thing that we're talking about consent and kind of challenging people to really think about more visible now. Yeah. Are you being sure that you're you're checking in and you're honoring consent? But one of the reasons is when we hear about something as awful as a sexual assault, there's a very human tendency to want to believe that there must have been a misunderstanding. Somebody must have misread something. Right. Again, a healthy person isn't going to immediately jump to, oh, somebody's a predator, because we don't think that way as healthy human beings. We want
0: to try to make the connection with people and say, well, it it was an
1: accident. Absolutely. And there's some really intriguing research that indicates that one of the reasons we engage in victim blaming um, is for that very reason. We want, it helps us to maintain our belief in a rational world where Mm -hmm. If something awful happens, it must be because somebody made a mistake, somebody let their guard down. Like it can't possibly be be because somebody is actually predatory and enjoys causing harm. And that's very normal. It's not okay for us to blame victims. It's not okay for us to not let victims speak to us and hear their story and listen without judgment. It's not okay for us to act on that impulse. But it's also okay for us to understand that it's pretty normal for that to be sort of a first gut instinct of surely not. That means we're healthy in some ways, right? So right. we, we want to be careful about that. If we're aware of that dynamic, we can make sure if somebody does come to us and say, I've been hurt, that we don't blurt out something harmful. Right. Um, so it's important for us to be aware of that dynamic, but it's also helpful to know that that's a pretty normal tendency to want to believe that a mistake happened. Also, if somebody's accused of causing that kind of harm, they are going to say, I did not mean for that to happen. Of mm-hmm. course I didn't intend to cause harm. Right. And again, certainly there are sometimes situations where there really is Just miscommunication, a, right, miscommunication or, you know, miss signals or whatever but that is not always the case but if i get accused of like you know if i left here today and you accused me of i don't know stealing something from this office (laughs) i'm gonna say no i didn't i would never do such a thing of course i wouldn't do that um right and so like it's the same within this realm if somebody's accused of causing harm they're gonna say oh i I thought my partner was into, I thought this was consensual. Mm. Um, so certainly. if you
0: make sure by asking and, and checking in, like you said, checking in with your mm-hmm. partner um, to make sure that everything I was okay. You're clearing up that uh, miscommunication.
1: If there was any sure. or anything like that. You yeah. Or if you did misread them. something, you're, mm. you're making sure before you make an assumption, really is what it comes down to. We don't want to make assumptions and, move forward doing something when maybe our partner really isn't comfortable with that.
0: So when we're talking about consent, we're also talking about personal boundaries. Um, How do you go about, say you're in an already established relationship. How do you go about setting those personal boundaries if Maybe things have happened before and you're like, yeah, I tried it then, but I don't really want to do that anymore. How do you set those personal boundaries? How do you start by doing that?
1: Yeah, good question. I think kind of like you just said, um, speaking up and saying, look, I was willing to give this a try, but I didn't like it or I'm not comfortable with this being willing to speak up for yourself and um, and again. Sometimes it might be helpful to access something like counseling. If if a mm-hmm. person really struggles with that, um, it can be helpful to go get some help with that and to learn and kind of get some practice in that counseling environment of saying what you need, asking for what you need from a partner, talking about what your boundaries are so that your partner is clear and if you're doing your part as one half of that relationship to be really clear about what you like and don't, what you are and aren't comfortable with hopefully your partner's receptive but if they're not that's a different kind of problem mm-hmm. right if your partner is not respecting your boundaries if they're dismissive when you say you know i don't like this and they try it anyway that's that's a red flag um, for some really unhealthy behavior. So I know we just talked about
0: partners and you really have to think about your personal boundaries and if they're okay with you setting those personal boundaries. Hopefully they are. But what about outside romantic relationships? Who who should you set boundaries with? Uh, Do you just
1: set boundaries with your partner? Who else do you set boundaries with? Great question. You should set them with everyone. <laughs> we, you know, we want to have really healthy boundaries with everyone. I, um, Your question makes me think about um, an uh, example from years ago when I was working in a different community and um, I supervised a group of um, volunteer um, advocates in this um nonprofit that I worked for. And they all had my cell phone number so that they could contact me because I traveled a lot and I was out of the office a lot. Anyway, one of them um, called me late in the evening And I answered my phone and I was talking with my supervisor about it later. And I was like, you know, so-and-so called me and it really, it was not an emergency. It could have waited. I said, I answered. And she said, and you reinforced that behavior. And I was like, (laughs) darn it. (laughs) Correct. I did. Um, And that was a lesson to me of how to, how to set back. Something as simple as not answering my phone Mm -hmm. when I am at home and on my personal time, not answering my email when I'm on my personal time turning my phone off when I'm on vacation Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm smiling because we just talked about before the podcast but I just came back from vacation so being unavailable when I'm on vacation and making you know in a professional sense obviously making arrangements for while I'm gone um, if one of my clients needs something or so forth but like I can be out of the office and the office is going to survive without me there. My colleagues can take time away and we can manage the office while they're gone Mm -hmm. so that they can be disconnected. Um, I'm really conscientious about and again, just kind of talking broadly about examples outside of Of relationships. um, I try to be really conscientious that most of the time I'm not sending emails at some unreasonable hour because that kind of creates an implicit expectation of working at unreasonable hours
0: we have this uh, tendency especially now with social media Mm. and the access to basically the world on our phones to this tendency to want instanticity Mm -hmm. which is the instant
1: gratification of oh that person saw my message so they should answer Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes even if I do like my um my boss who was on this podcast, I think a few weeks ago mm-hmm. was on vacation before I was um, and I sent her an email about something because we weren't going to see each other for a while. But the very first thing I said in it is if you're reading this, stop reading it. <laughs> it's not <laughs> urgent. I just want you to have this when you get back in the office because I'm not going to be here. And it was something I wanted to make sure she saw mm-hmm. before waiting until of I got course. back from my vacation. So, um, you know, I, I try to be really conscientious about those kinds of things, um, you know, with family, um, hopefully, you know, the ideal situations we have healthy, loving f- relationships with our family members. Mm-hmm. But even then, um, you know, sometimes it's important for us to have boundaries. If I don't know if your family, you've got a family member who's blowing up your phone at all hours of the day and night. Maybe it's worth thinking about turning the phone off at a certain time, mm-hmm. um, being unavailable at a certain time. And, and again, thinking about how you navigate that with them, I was in the library and I was studying and I don't have great signal. I'm not going to be able to answer my phone when I'm in the library getting ready for a test. Um, your family member might not like that. But again, that's your family member's problem. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like sometimes we need to think about how we do that in some ways with our family. Sometimes we talked a little bit earlier. We need to think about that within our friendships of how right. available are we making ourselves um, in our professional lives? How available are we making ourselves? And what are we expecting of other people? And is it really reasonable? And um, so kind of, again, always looking at both sides of that coin of. Honoring and respecting other people's boundaries, and also monitoring my own, so that I'm not burning myself out.
0: Right, right. That that's really important. I have a, I'm me specifically. I have a hard time with burnout, and but now that we're talking about it, it's it's time to like start retraining ourselves about how to really manage our own personal boundaries and other people's mm-hmm. boundaries, yeah. uh, because. Maybe they have gotten to the step where they're OK with like, hey, I really have to turn my phone off now. I can't talk to anyone. I, I got to get back to this message when I am mentally and socially available to talk mm-hmm. to you. It's really important to retrain. And I think hopefully listeners will will understand that, too, and understand those concepts. But something re- kind of related to training and teaching about consent, you have taught a little bit with our age students, so college age students that um, 18 to 25-ish range. But now we're starting to see a little bit more of teaching about consent in younger kids. Mm-hmm. So as young as elementary, I found even even like pre-K, um, Why is it important to teach it so young? What are we actually talking about when we're talking about teaching it so young? Because, of course, like we said before, people start immediately when they hear consent.
1: It's sexual consent. Mm -hmm. What are we actually teaching our kids that young about consent? Yeah, I love that question. Well, we're not teaching them about sex. That's always a concern, right? <laughs> yes, like there's, it is. has definitely been some pushback as we've talked about sort of consent and young children and like we're not teaching them about sex, but we should be. Again, most of us like I, as parents or if we worked with one, young children are talking to them about boundaries and we're not using that language necessarily, but it is important that we're teaching our young children to be respectful of other people's boundaries, but to have their own boundaries as well. And that can be as simple as, um, I have two daughters, they're 11 and eight now, so they're a little bit older, but like when they were little, you know, we started young with like, maybe they have an argument and then one of them is over and wants to hug the other one, and the other one is not over it yet. Um, (laughs) And something as simple as, hey, you know, Rebecca, your sister doesn't look like she wants to hug right now. I'm glad that you're feeling better and you want to talk to her, but she's not ready. So, hey, you want to come sit with me or you want to come do this thing with me? Maybe she'll want to talk later or maybe she'll want to give a hug later so simple but just modeling and reinforcing that hey this person doesn't want to do this right now so you're going to have to manage that you're going to have to figure that out um manage your own emotions uh a little bit yeah and and you know I've been really intentional about Um, age appropriately with my girls talking about we have some conversations about you're responsible for the way you feel I'm responsible for the way that I feel Um, and again as they just act like sisters and you know sometimes have a ball together and then turn around and they're just raging mad at each other (laughs) yes talking through that again in an age-appropriate way but um, you know I hear I hear you, Zoe, that you're mad at Rebecca. It's okay that you're upset, but it's not okay that you're screaming. You need to Mm -hmm. go take a breather. Let's take a break from each other and we'll come back and we'll talk about this a little bit later. Again, so simple. And I'm not talking about consent and I'm not saying boundaries. I'm just talking them through because I'm the adult in the room. Right. Talking them through. Your feelings are okay, but we have to think about what we do with those. Right, right. And you may sometimes want to play with your sister and she doesn't want to play and she doesn't have to. You may want to hug sometimes and your sister doesn't want to. She doesn't have to. Um, mm-hmm. And so hopefully um, helping them kind of think about.
0: Right. It's building, um, it's almost building individuality mm-hmm. in in kids. And, and while it seems young to think about kids being individuals. They they are. Oh yeah. And at the same time you think it's taking away the socialness of a person. Like because girls are maybe seen as like the more social, maybe like mm-hmm. take care of other people, yeah. right? But at the same time it's creating a more healthy
1: communication. I like that. Definitely. Yeah. Um and even, you know, an an area where again sometimes there's some interesting conversation is like in interactions with family and somebody had published an article, um, several years ago, but about, um, how this parent was saying, I don't force my children to hug when we're interacting with family. And I've talked with my family about that. And there was some pushback to that, but again, at the end of the day, I'm quite capable as a parent of teaching my children to be respectful and to greet our family members when we go see family without demanding that they give hugs if they don't want to. Um, That's a way for me to honor their boundaries And still, they can still act right. (laughs) You know, in my job, when I meet a new colleague, you know, if somebody told me I had to hug them, I would have very pointed words in response (laughs) to that. Right. Like I, right. I greet people all the time. And I am, I think, you know, warm and comfortable without making physical contact. Like it is possible with our children as well. That's hard to think
0: about in the South. Right. Uh, Yeah, it is. We're all about hugs.
1: Yeah. And my kids are generally huggers, you know, but if there's a time or reason for that, for whatever reason, they don't want to hug. We don't make them and our family doesn't push it. You know, they are welcome to just say hello or goodbye or do high fives or fist bumps or, you know, whatever. Like there's lots of ways that we can be respectful of and be kind towards people without demanding that somebody make themselves uncomfortable really is what it comes down to without demanding that someone make themselves uncomfortable. Um, for the sake of another person, because that's not a good lesson, Um, you know, and none of us intentionally ever again, if we're healthy people, none of us is ever intentionally going to teach our children that their feelings don't matter for the sake of somebody else. But sometimes we may inadvertently do that. If Mm -hmm. we're saying you go over and you hug so and so, what are we really saying? We're saying you're obviously uncomfortable and I don't care. You go do this thing because the way this person feels is more important. And again, it's okay to expect of our children that they are respectful, but that doesn't have to include physical contact. It doesn't have to include them, uh, you know, engaging in a behavior with which they are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yes. That definitely makes sense. It's, Almost this cycle of well, you're teaching that you're teaching your kid that sometimes their feelings don't matter. So yeah. the you should give in to what the other person is feeling when, when it's really about establishing yourself as uh, an individual and you are okay if you want to make this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, that you that makes you uncomfortable. That that makes you uncomfortable. So you can make a decision to say. I'm not going to do that right now. I care about you, but I don't want to do that right now. Yep. That's I think that's the overarching kind of lesson to be to be taught when talking about consent and personal boundaries and and having your own bodily autonomy. Definitely, yeah. Uh, what What would you say are the most important things about consent that people should know? great question. I know there's like uh, the concept in itself is important to know, yeah. but are there kind of pinpoints that you should know about okay. consent, whether it be romantic or, okay.
1: platonic? Yeah. you know, I think one of the big things is to again, recognize most of us already do this pretty well. Um, <laughs> you know, I think sometimes people almost maybe feel a little nervous about like, Oh, am I doing this right? Or am I going to right? And I don't want to cause harm and things are weird now. And you know, no, they're not like you probably are pretty respectful of other people's boundaries mm-hmm. most of the time. Like most of us do that most days pretty well. And again, in sort of our everyday interactions, we're thoughtful as we're asking people for their time, their attention, as we're entering their space. Things as simple as... Um, I don't just barge into a colleague's office if I want to ask them something and their doors open. I ask, hey, do you have a couple minutes I can chat with you about this um, right. or would it be better for me to come back later? Right. Like most of us, I think most of the time are probably doing just fine. <laughs> and it never hurts to just check in with ourselves about am I being respectful And again, sort of in all of our interactions with other people, certainly outside of just sex. Am I being respectful in the way I'm handling this? Am I being healthy in the way that I'm handling? Could I do this a little bit different or a little bit better or be a little healthier? Um, And if we're unsure, maybe checking in with somebody about that, asking a close friend or, you know, if you're in counseling, asking your counselor, hey, this thing happened. And I just wonder, like. Did I handle this well? Should I maybe have done something differently with this? Um, And certainly in in our intimate interactions, always just being willing. If we think we might sense some hesitation, if something feels a little off, just being willing to check in, to ask, being willing to just walk away and leave it alone if we're unsure, because we always want to make a mistake on the side of protecting someone else and being respectful right. instead of causing harm. And again, most of us are going to do that pretty naturally. That's what we want to do. And if there's ever a question, make the mistake in the right direction of being right. respectful and protective. Sense. Yeah.
0: So I we talked majority about consent, bodily autonomy and boundary setting and personal boundaries. Is there any other point you'd like to like listeners to know about when we're talking about this topic that we haven't already talked about um
1: we've talked about so much um (laughs) i I think yeah i think we've covered most of it but just you know again like If you have questions or if there's ever a situation you feel kind of uncomfortable about and you want to talk about it, you know, this is a reminder for our students on campus. Mm -hmm. You have access to counseling services while you're a student. Um, Call us, come by, make an appointment. We have students who come in from everything from a a one time. Literally, I have this one thing I kind of want to process with somebody who's not my family, not a friend, (laughs) you know, who will come in for one session to students who come in over the course of multiple semesters. So that is always an option really for anything certainly. But, um, you know, if there's ever something kind of within this realm of what we're talking about that you're wondering about or struggling with or unsure about, you know, come talk to one of us, um, invite us in. If you belong to an organization, you think this might be a helpful thing for my group to hear about or for us to have some conversation about, invite us in. We'd be happy to do a presentation or a workshop or facilitate some discussion. Um, I'm really grateful that our community is willing to engage in these topics. Again, they're not always easy, and sometimes they're uncomfortable. And again, most of us are getting it right most of the time. We call that in the mental health world the healthy majority. Most of us (laughs) belong to that. Group, We we have a club. You didn't even know it, but we're in the club together. <laughs> um, most of us are doing just fine, but mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt for us to be talking about it and sort of checking ourselves and sort of just being a little bit diligent as we're out socializing and living our social lives so that if we see a problem again, we can try to interrupt it before somebody does get hurt when one of those few people who is willing to cause harm is in the midst. Most of us are not that person. And if we're paying attention, if we're being really thoughtful, we can shut that person down when they show up.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, right. And uh, for listeners who are interested in possibly using the services at Student Counseling Services, I am going to link all of their information in the description, um, where, wherever the description is if it's below, uh, wherever you're uh, listening. But I'm gonna link that, as well as some other resources that I found. One popular resource that uh, comes up a lot when you're talking about consent is a specific tea video, mm-hmm. uh, like drinking tea, yeah. and uh, I'm excited to link that below. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. It's, it's pretty cool, and it's a, it's a good way to really think about consent. I've also included a consent for kids down there, if you listeners maybe are around kids or um, that you may be teaching or your parents or your aunts, uncles, whatever, that you you maybe want to start teaching those just small concepts that Karis uh, was talking about. Just like, okay, you are, um, you maybe want to hug right now, but maybe your friend doesn't. So we're gonna let them be themselves and you be yourself and you can handle it on your own for right now. If you want to start teaching that stuff, I'll, I'll link. Them in the description as well, but this this was kind of a a big topic in to conceptualize and and really get a hold of. But there's there's plenty of more information out there. Like I said, I'll link some some resources in the description. But for now, uh, if you want any updates on the show, you just follow the social media pages at 100.7 The Planet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We also have a TikTok now. If you want updates via that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Karis, for coming and talking to us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And until next time, folks, be safe and take care.
1: This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production
0: from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Brianna Blanks. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.